Hey, good morning. Hey, before you open uh, your Bibles, uh, <clears throat> just some exciting news to, uh, today. We have uh, someone here who is one of our regulars who is turning 90 years old today. And so we want to wish a happy birthday to Elmer Gray back there, right back in that corner. Thankful for you, brother. Served our country, fought in the Korean War, and uh, so cool. God's granted him this many years uh, to follow Jesus. And so, also heard this morning that Miss Sarah Cox's birthday is today, if you know. Uh, Sarah, where's Sarah at? Right there she is. Now, Sarah's only 39, so you don't have to applaud her. So, all right. Well, guys, uh, let me ask you a question, because we're kicking off a series this morning called unapologetic. I wonder what comes into your mind when you hear that word unapologetic. Like, do you think of somebody who's just like a real jerk, right? Like someone who's just loud and rude. Do you picture a guy who is arrogant and unrepentant? Like, I hope not. So in in the context of this series, I want us to think about the word unapologetic in the literal sense Meaning no apology without apology uh, for Christ. Like this is somebody who's not arrogant, not rude, but they are confident and unashamed of their Savior. Like this is someone who remains faithful to Jesus Christ and His Word regardless of the cost. And, you know, make no mistake, there will be a cost in today's world. In an article entitled, Ashamed of the Gospel, Princeton University professor Robert George wrote this. He said, the days of socially acceptable Christianity are surely over. The days of comfortable Christian orthodoxy are in the past. Now, if one does not believe what the church teaches, or for now at least, is prepared to be completely silent about what the church teaches, one is safe. One can still be a comfortable Christian. In other words, a tame Christian, a Christian who is ashamed of the gospel, or who is willing to act publicly as if he or she were ashamed, is still socially acceptable. But a Christian who makes it clear that he or she is not ashamed must be prepared to take risks and make sacrifices. And so here's the question I want you to ponder this morning. Are you prepared to be unapologetically loyal to Jesus Christ? Are you prepared to be unapologetically loyal to Jesus, to Jesus Christ. Because guys, we're no longer safe in this culture with our convictions. In fact, Dr. Al Mohler explains just what has changed and how. He writes, Western society is currently experiencing what can only be described as a moral revolution. Our society's moral code and collective ethical evaluation on a particular issue has undergone undergone not small adjustments, but a complete reversal. What makes the current moral revolution so different from previous 
moral revolutions is that it is taking place at an utterly unprecedented velocity. Previous generations experienced moral revolutions over decades, even centuries. This current revolution is happening at warp speed. And then he goes on to describe the three stages of any moral revolution. Let's see if you can recognize these today. What was condemned is now celebrated. And so there was something that was taboo. Something that was considered not just by the church, but by the culture at large to be wrong, to be sin, to not be the practice you want to give yourself to. What was condemned is now celebrated. That's stage one. Stage two is what was celebrated is now condemned. Like this ethical standard that up until five minutes ago the culture held to and believed was right is now condemned. And the final stage of any moral revolution is this. Those who refuse to celebrate the change are themselves condemned. So guys, that's the world we live in. And so you got to ask the question, how should we respond? In a world like this, how should we act? Well, certainly not with surprise. I mean, the Apostle Peter counseled the persecuted church this way. He said, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Like Peter is saying, where did you get the idea that you are somehow exempt from persecution? Somehow exempt from suffering? Like who told you like that everybody's going to love you, that everything's going to be okay, that you'll be on the inside track? Who told you that you would ever be voted most popular? So understand, this is a test. And it's a test of our loyalty to Christ. All of life, every decision is a test of our loyalty to Christ. So how should we respond to this moral revolution? How should we respond to the spirit of the age? And I use that term and we'll use it throughout this series because it describes the narrative of our culture. The spirit of the age is the set of popular ideas and beliefs and aims of the time in which we live, and it captures both the natural element and the supernatural element that is working behind the scenes. The prince and the power of the air and the spirit that is now working in the children of disobedience. So how should we respond to those who are not content simply to change the surrounding culture, they want to change the church into their own image. They're not content simply to do their own thing. They want us to stand on the sidelines and applaud. Guys, understand, the spirit of the age wants to convert you. It, this is an evangelistic moment for our culture. And they're doing pretty well. I mean, first, the first thing they did is they wanted us to privatize our faith. It's okay that you're a Christian, 
Just keep it to yourself. Check. Like their next step is that they wanted to silence us in the public square. Listen, it's great that you have Christian convictions. Like those are for church. They're not for the culture, for politics, for the school, whatever. Check. And now, they want us to convert us. Like that's the final step. They want us to fall in line or be trampled. And so how should we respond? Like years ago, I was meeting with a, a pastor friend of mine who was at another church. And each week we would meet for accountability. And each week he would tell me about a situation in his church, a conflict between members or between himself and the leadership or himself and some of the people coming. He would tell me about an issue and then I would ask him, he would like, tell me the story. I'd ask him, how did you resolve it? And he would say the same thing. He would say, well, it's not worth fighting over. And then he would explain how he made a concession for that person, for that issue. Every single week, with, guys, I'm not even lying. Every single week we would meet and he would tell me another story, another conflict. And when I asked, how was it re resolved? He would say, well, it's not worth fighting over. And over the time we met, these issues got larger and they got more frequent until finally he shared a story with me that was so obviously wrong on the part of the other person. And so I asked him, how did he resolve it? And he said, well, it's not worth fighting over. And I just said, you know what? You say that all the time. I completely disagree. Some things are worth fighting over. Sometimes you have to take a stand. I mean, I understand. Like, guys, understand this. If you fight over everything, you're a bully. But if you fight over nothing, you're a coward. And it's time for the church to take a stand. It's time for us to join the fight that has already been started. So where our culture is pushing in on what used to be considered holy ground, the purview of the church, where the culture is pushing in, we need to push back. And so how can we prepare ourselves for that? How can we prepare ourselves to remain unapologetically loyal to Jesus? Well, the good news is, if you open your Bibles to Matthew 10... Jesus tells us how. In fact, Jesus was about to send out His disciples to do ministry without Him being there looking over their shoulder. And so to prepare them to do ministry in a sense without Him, He gives them a little pep talk. And this is His pep talk. Beginning in verse 16, Jesus tells His disciples, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of of wolves. Ooh, well that doesn't sound good. Unless these wolves have somehow become vegetarians. Right? I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Like Jesus knew His audience. So be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. And He also knew what it would take to reach His audience. Not by concessions, 
Not by making concession after concession after concession to the greater culture around us, to the spirit of the age, but by confession. Faithful confession of Jesus Christ as Lord. And so the first thing that Jesus is telling us in this passage is as we engage the world, we need to adjust our expectations. Adjust our expectations. He puts it this way. Verse 17. Beware of men. I've told my daughter the same thing. (laughs) Beware of men. For they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in the synagogues and you will be dragged before their governors and kings for My sake. And then He goes on to say in verse 21, brothers will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for My name's sake. To which if I'm one of the disciples at this point, I'm going to say, uh, what? Like, that's not what I signed on for. I mean, Jesus, you're the king. This is not very encouraging. I mean, if you're the king of all kings, I mean, think about it. If you're the king of everything and we're your servants, I mean, I, I would think that we're due some level of honor. And so Jesus makes it very clear in verse 24. He tells them, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub. How much more will they malign those of his household? Like, see, we live in this bubble. This Christian bubble where we say bold things in this room and when we go outside of these doors, our bubble gets burst because those outside of these doors don't accept the things that we say. Jesus is saying, understand, if you want to win the popularity contest of this culture, you are in the wrong family. You're in the wrong household. If they called me Satan... Oh my goodness. How much more? I mean, I can stand up for myself. If they're calling me Satan, what are they going to call you? And so the next thing we need to do to prepare ourselves to be unapologetically loyal to Christ in this culture is we need to be prepared for unpopularity. Hear this, guys. As long as you bear His name, Like as long as you bear that name, as long as you identify yourself with Jesus Christ, as long as you call yourself Christian, expect the same kind of treatment that Jesus received. I mean, one cardinal, Catholic cardinal, Francis George, kind of reflecting on the changing culture around him, wrote this just a few years back. He said, I expect to die in bed. My successor will die in prison. And his successor will die a martyr in the public square. Is that where we're heading? I don't know. All signs kind of point to yes. Like, Do you expect that a world that is opposed to Jesus Christ 
would not be opposed to you if you name His name? Do you expect to hold unpopular opinions and still remain popular? That's not how it works. You know, as a youth pastor for years, I would meet with parents who would be so like passionate about their kids. They'd be like, I just want my kid to fit into the youth group. I want them to be connected. I really want them to grow. I really want them to be a disciple. And then at the same time, I really want them to fit in with his friends at school. And I really want them to be popular. And I would say, okay, choose one of those. Because you can't have both. Here's the reality. If you follow Jesus unapologetically, if you put His name on you, people will malign you. People will misunderstand you. And people will misrepresent you. So have you ever been maligned? Misunderstood? Misrepresented? Because of your loyalty to Jesus? Like, are you surprised at the unpopularity of Jesus Christ? I mean, not the Jesus of our own invention. Like the Jesus that we've created in our own minds. He's awesome and everybody loves Him. He's a skinny Santa Claus. Right? But the Jesus of history, the Jesus of Scripture, the authentic Jesus who lived and died and rose again is incredibly unpopular. Are you surprised by the contempt directed at anyone who would be loyal to that Jesus. See, that's the issue. The problem comes because we're identified with Jesus. Jesus said this in John 15. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Of course they're treating you this way. You're not theirs. Like this isn't your home. This isn't your family. Like understand, Jesus is saying, I haven't left you in a safe country. And so you need to make peace with, you need to accept that you're not home yet. And so you won't fit in. And you probably won't even be liked. Which i got to tell you, I've said this before, I'll say it again, for the Christian living in the West, this is our kryptonite. This is our kryptonite. We so want to be liked by people, don't we? Like we so want to fit in. Like we want to be thought of as the good people, the moral people, the kind, loving, caring, and compassionate people. But the problem is that the spirit of this age has new definitions for all of those terms. Like we live in a day where good is called evil and evil is called good. What was was condemned is now celebrated. What was celebrated is now condemned. And those who refuse to celebrate this change are themselves condemned. You see, the spirit of the age knows that this is our kryptonite. And that is why one of their best tactics is to paint themselves as the virtuous ones 
and us as the immoral, unloving ones. Like we are the ones who right now are on the wrong side of history. And as a result, Christianity has lost its home field advantage. But hear this, as Jesus prepares to send these disciples out to do ministry without Him being there bodily present, He tells them, don't fear the defeated team. Sure, you've lost the home field advantage, but you win. Like your story's not over. Ultimately, you will be victorious. Verse 26, He says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. The truth will one day be fully and finally known by everyone. So be bold now. What I tell you in the dark, say it in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And then he says this in verse 28, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill kill the soul. I mean, these are Christians. These are believers of the twelve. Ten went on to die martyrs' deaths. And so he says, do not fear those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Guys, the Lamb wins. One day He will be victorious. One day He will appear and every eye will see Him. And then Jesus gives this little little illustration. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Like it's a bird that's worth nothing. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. God knows it. God wills it. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And so guys, we need to adjust our expectations. We need to be prepared to be unpopular. And we need not fear those who will be defeated. Like we don't need to make concessions We need to make a confession. So finally, the last thing we need to do is we need to remember it's all about Jesus. Remember, it's all about Jesus. In fact, that's the point I will go back to again and again and again throughout this series. It's all about Jesus. Jesus, this this issue that you're dealing with, this moral stand that you're taking, this argument that you're having with someone outside in the world, the issue is not the issue. The issue is Jesus. The issue is the Gospel. Like the issue, like everything, is connected to Him and all of life is a test of your loyalty to Him as Savior and Lord. Like for years as a youth pastor, this is the message I tried to communicate to teenagers. They live in this Christian bubble in their Christian home. Many of them going to a Christian school in this great big youth group where they feel so safe until they get out into the world and their bubble is burst. And now they're meeting people who have different views than them, different lifestyles than them. They begin to question everything that they were taught. 
And at that point, it is easy, it is easy to compromise with the world against religion, against church, corporate church. But it's a whole lot harder to sin against a Savior. Like, don't think of corporate church. Don't think of religion. Understand that all of this is connected to the Gospel. All the things we're going to be teaching are connected directly to Jesus Christ Himself. It's a loyalty test. And this is how Jesus puts it in verse 32. So everyone who acknowledges Me before men, I also will acknowledge before My Father who is in heaven. Let that sink in. Hey, Dad, I want you to meet somebody. Can you even imagine that one day Jesus Christ will introduce you to His Father as His brother? Gosh. So everyone who acknowledges Me before men, I also will acknowledge before My Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies Me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Guys, to acknowledge someone is to be, be willing to identify with them. To acknowledge Christ is by being willing to identify Him by name. Like the name of Jesus is like a wedding ring. Like I wear it wherever I go. It's the one piece of jewelry I never take off. This identifies that I belong to Amy. And the name Christian identifies me as belonging to Jesus alone. I mean, I take this wherever I go, and I take Him wherever I go. I mean, you know something's up at a business trip when a married person slips off their wedding ring, right? They're up to no good. Married? I'm not married. Oh no, I'm divorced. I'm separated. You play that game, but we do that spiritually. Have you ever taken off your Christian wedding ring? The name Christian? Guys, we are to identify with Jesus Christ and where? Before men who don't know Him. Who don't believe in Him. Who haven't accepted Him. Who don't love Him yet. Now, the opposite of acknowledging Him is denying Him. To make apologies for Him, for His Word, or for His church. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus said, Whoever is ashamed of Me and of My words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Are you kidding Me? Anyone who is ashamed of Me, Lamb of God, King of kings, Lord of lords, Savior of the world, before this adulterous and sinful generation of Him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father and with His holy angels. To be ashamed of Jesus means you don't want to be connected to Him or to His words because of fear of the disapproval of what Jesus calls an adulterous and sinful generation? Like preferring their approval results in Christ's disapproval. And so what's the opposite of being ashamed of someone? 
Well, the opposite is to be proud of them. To admire them. To love to be identified with them. To be known as theirs. Like, have you faced situations where you've kind of shrunk back in shame? Ashamed to be identified with Christ or what He teaches in a public sense? Are there issues that you remain silent on out of fear of the spirit of this age? Have you made concessions instead of making a confession? Jesus goes on to say, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have said a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Guys, when you live unapologetically loyal to Jesus, it divides. Like Jesus is the dividing point in all of history and He's the dividing point in all of our relationships. Like we tend to divide over the dumbest things and not divide over the things that we should. So has remaining loyal to Jesus cost you someone? Put you at odds or put you at a distance? Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Guys, no one else can get away with saying that. Because no one else has the authority to say this. Whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Like guys, being loyal to Jesus, like all of life is a test of your loyalty to Him. Like Jesus tells us to take up His cross. Be willing to suffer. Be willing to die. But as Dietrich Bonhoeffer has said, every command of Jesus is a call to die. Because His commands put, put us at odds with the spirit of the age. Like that's not the Jesus we like. The Jesus we like is, you know, one of my favorite Instagrams is this. It's the new woke Jesus Christ. If anyone desires to come after me, let him improve his self-esteem, fill his life with comfort, and do everything that makes him happy. Well, that's the Gospel of this world. Or this, the Kingdom of Heaven is like a popularity contest where the main goal is to win the approval of the people around you. Guys, are you unapologetically loyal to the authentic, historical, biblical Jesus? Or do you find yourself apologizing for Him and for His Word? Like years ago, I read a book about this from this guy about his college ministry that he had for a while. And this college ministry he was involved in set up a confession booth on campus and it said, confess your sins. And people went into the confession booth at this secular campus, but instead of having an opportunity to confess their own sins, these Christians would confess the sins of the church to them. We have failed you. We have not been loving. We've been homophobic, Islamophobic, the Crusades, everything. 
And guys, I kind of understand where they're coming from. But then again, why in the world are we letting those who hate us be the ones who define us? That's like the preacher who's about to speak on a really tough topic and he spends the first 20 minutes apologizing for what he's about to say. Who would listen to that guy? Like if you were a parent disciplining your kids with that same tactic, would they listen to you? Like understand that giving up ground to the spirit of the age is not humility. It's pride. You think that you are smarter than the 20 centuries of Christians who have gone before you and who have shed their blood for the sake of Christ. And giving up ground to the spirit of the age is not brave. It's cowardice. Fueled by fear over the people and what they would think of you or think of us as a church. You make concessions instead of a confession. One writer wrote this, if I profess every portion of the truth of God except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ. And then she writes this, where the battle rages, the loyalty of the soldier is proved. Like will you go to the front line? Like this series, this sermon series is a doctrinal series. And what we're going to do in this doctrinal series is we're going to go where the battle is raging against the truths of the church that they have held for 2,000 years. And we're going to address those battles and tell you where we need to stand. Like in preparing for this series, I told our staff kind of jokingly that this is the these are the podcasts. This is the video that they will reference at my trial. Like if our, if our culture goes the direction of, let's say, our neighbor to the north, Canada, in a few years, this could be played. Like at the trial of your pastor because he stood on what the Scripture said. And guys, we need to follow him unflinchingly. I love how J.R.R. Tolkien writes what he said in a letter to his wife. He said this, I do so dearly believe that no half-heartedness and no worldly fear must turn us aside from following the light unflinchingly. See, your life is a test of your loyalty, so don't turn aside. The big question I want y'all all to be asking for the next eight weeks is this. What would unapologetic loyalty to Christ and to His Word look like in this situation? Remember Jesus said, if you acknowledge Me before men, I will acknowledge you before My Father who is in heaven. Even though He gave heavy words in this pep talk to His disciples, He also says that no one who has left father or mother, brother, sisters, houses, farms, will not receive back in this life 100-fold and in the life to come, eternal life. Let's pray. As we prepare our hearts for communion, if there is any disloyalty in your heart to Christ, any compromise, any concession,
Call that what it is right now to Him. Repent of that. Tell Him of His worth. Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. True then, true now, and true in eternity. We pray through Christ. Amen. Well guys, even though my sermon series is called Unapologetic, let me begin our communion time with an apology. Because for years, I kind of believed what I had heard that, you know, if we did communion each week, it would kind of become old hat. It would kind of become less special. And yet, we don't apply that same principle to all the other elements of worship. We're only going to take up an offering once a month. Preach once a month. Have worship once a month. Like to believe that is to forget that what this table represents is what angels long to look upon. Isn't that amazing? Like what this table represents is what we will be singing about for all of eternity. We're told in Revelation chapter 5, these are the words we'll sing together. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And so as the band sings this next song, we have open communion here. If you know Jesus as your Savior, we want you to come up during this next song and get the elements of communion and carry them back to your seat and we'll take those together. Let's stand together and worship. We want to remain unapologetically loyal to the one who said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of him. And the good news for all of us who at times have been ashamed of Jesus and denied him. Is that at that same night he said, this is my blood. The blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins just like those. Do this in remembrance of Him. King Jesus, ruler of our world, ruler of our hearts, God help us. Lord, help us by the power of Your Spirit. Fill us and help us to remain faithful, to remain loyal. Keep your face, your thought, your name always before us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, married folks in here, this week, uh, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to even now look at your wedding band. 
This week as you see that, I want you to think of the words of the Apostle Paul that he, as he wrote the church. He said, I'm, I'm jealous for you with a holy jealousy because I've promised you to one groom, to Jesus, to present you spotless, pure. Like remember who you belong to this week. Remember where your loyalty lies every time you see that ring. If you're single here, you can just look at that empty finger <laughs> and think the same thing. Because you have a groom. Married or not, you have somebody that, that the Spirit of God is preparing you to meet. Remember that. God bless you, church. You're dismissed.